evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucharin. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Right teaching and righteous living must go together if a Christian and a church wants to be a powerful witness for Christ in their community. Today, Pat will explain Paul's exhortation to the Christians here in the book of Titus, chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles handy, join with us now and turn to Titus, chapter 3. Here's our host, Pat Zucran. Well, we're concluding the study in the book of Titus. You know, and the theme of Titus is right doctrine and righteous living. That's what it's all about. You know, Titus chapter 1, to do a quick review, Titus chapter 1 is about teaching God's truth in God's church and appointing elders, men, leaders who can teach and defend sound doctrine. So chapter 1 is about sound doctrine. Chapter 2 and 3 is about the practice of sound doctrine or the application of the truths of God's word. Proper belief must be coupled with proper behavior, or as I put it, right teaching must always be coupled with right living. So right teaching and righteous living must go hand in hand together. There's little power in one's teaching or preaching if it's not coupled with living out what one teaches. So in chapter 3, Paul instructs us on how we should conduct ourselves as disciples of Christ. And he gives us some specific examples, such as submitting to authority, not slandering others, avoiding senseless quarreling, keep from causing dissension and beware of selfish ambition as our motivation for doing things. And in chapter 3, verse 14, Paul concludes giving us his final exhortation to be committed to do such good works. So before his final greeting there, Paul reemphasizes the theme of the epistle one last time. And I've summarized it this way. Right teaching must be followed by right living. The two must go hand in hand. Now the truth of Christianity must be taught, must be defended, and must be lived out. In fact, that's the mission statement of my organization, Evidence and Answers, to proclaim the gospel, defend the gospel, and equip God's people to engage their culture and their world for Christ. Now, in this passage, I see three commands here from Paul, and we start, and all the three principles that I'm going to go over here Begin with the letter A so that it's easy for us to memorize. It's apply, aid, and abound. Okay? Apply, aid, and abound. And in this verse, we begin with an imperative or a command from Paul who states, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. The first principle is apply yourselves to good works. Paul here states, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Now, the Greek word here for learn, mathenein, it's also the same root for disciple, mathetes. And so a disciple is a learner. And in the Bible, to learn means not just intellectual knowledge, 
but learning by putting into practice the knowledge that one has attained. So it's not just head knowledge, but it's knowledge that needs to go to the heart and transform someone's life. That's when learning has occurred according to the Bible. See, our natural tendency is to live for ourselves. And so we must learn or be discipled in developing a new mindset and a new attitude and a new lifestyle. That's not something that comes automatic for us. Even when we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, that is something that must be learned. And in the Bible, proper learning results in a change of mindset and a change of lifestyle. Now, what are we to learn? Paul says here, we need to learn to be devoted to good works. And the word devoted here means to prioritize. So once again, as Paul reiterates, sound doctrine involves living out the truth in everyday life. Right teaching is always coupled with righteous living. That's a theme of Paul's, and it's a theme throughout the New Testament here. For example, the Apostle James, in his book, I mean, that's his emphasis. He states in chapter 1, Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? So we are not saved by good works, but we do good works because we are saved. You see the difference? We're not saved by our good works. We do them because we are saved. The truth of the gospel is manifested in our lives, in the good works that we do. God's truth must be put into action. We see this emphasized throughout the New Testament. For example, in Jesus' famous parable of the wise builder in Matthew chapter 7, he states, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What was the difference between the wise builder and the foolish one? Well, the difference was one applied the word of God and one did not. In the story of the Good Samaritan that we are all familiar with, Jesus tells the story of a man who had been beaten and robbed and lay on the side of the road helpless. And the first man who walks by is a Levite. He is an expert in temple worship and he's an expert in the law of god as it applies to worship in jerusalem yet he sees the man in need and just walks by and he's the next guy that walks by is a rabbi an expert in the law a man who teaches the law for a living a man who knows the law of god and yet he saw the man in need and just walked by and the third guy who comes by probably has basic knowledge of the law, not nearly as much as the first two. First two, the Levite might be uh, compared to a seminary professor, you know, and the rabbi there might be compared to today's pastor, experts in the word of God, yet they walked by and ignored the man. The one who had least knowledge of the law, the least expertise, not even close to the first two, a Samaritan comes by and helps this man. 
And Jesus concludes when he asked the rabbi who said, you know, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, which one of these was the neighbor? And the rabbi replies, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Right? So God's word must be applied and lived out. That's the first principle we learn in Titus 3.14. So our application is this. Apply the word of God. All right. I know that throughout the week, many of us get hear a lot about of the word of God. You've got your Sunday sermon, Sunday school, small group. Perhaps you also listen on the radio or watch on TV. Hopefully you listen to Evidence and Answers there Sunday night, all right? But we get a lot of teaching of the Word of God, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. Well, my challenge for you is this. Find one principle to apply each week from God's Word and apply it. Just focus on one that really stands out to you and apply it. It'll have a tremendous impact on your life. I'm often guilty of hearing God's word and forgetting to apply it to my life that it may transform me. Biblical teaching is not about only gaining knowledge. Biblical truth doesn't end until it is applied. That's when it becomes the living word, the transforming word of God that is to be experienced. I remember listening to a sermon from Pastor Juan Carlos Ortiz, famous evangelist from Argentina. And he emphasized applying God's word. He said, I would rather have a Christian memorize and apply just one verse in the Bible than reading through the whole Bible in a year and not applying anything. And in fact, in his church, he would preach on the passage and then give the application. And then the next week, he would ask his congregation, how many of you applied the lessons that you learned last week? And if everyone's hand didn't go up. He said, okay, you get the same sermon again. All right. He preached the same sermon until everybody applied it. That's how important he saw application to be because according to the Bible, true learning doesn't end until it has been applied and transformed someone's life. So my challenge for you this week is to find one, one application and apply it to your life. And then the next week, find another application, just one and apply it to your life. The, Criticisms I often hear around the world from unbelievers that, well, we Christians are hypocrites. We do not practice what we preach. Well, that's something that needs to be corrected because I'm often guilty of that as well. Find one principle and apply it to your life this week. Second principle, Paul says, aid the needy. Aid the needy. He says, so as to help cases of urgent need. Paul states, that we are to aid those in need. Paul stated in the previous verse, please help Zenos and Apollos. All right, they were evangelists and traveling teachers, and they had needs in order to continue on in their ministry. And that's one of the examples Paul mentions in how Christians are to meet the needs. Paul states here, to meet the urgent needs of others. In other words, the necessities of life. You know, as Christians, we're not called to meet all the demands and wants of people, but of urgent needs. And when we do good works in the name of Christ, our hands literally become the hands of Jesus Christ. I remember a good friend of mine, Lynn, sharing the story about how her mother came to Christ. Her mother was a devout Buddhist and uh, was sick and, and in the hospital. 
And so she would call uh, the Buddhist priest to come and pray for her. And the Buddhist priest would come, do his chanting for about five, 10 minutes. And when he was done, he would go, okay, in other words, pay me. And her mother would pay the priest. And then when she felt like she needed the priest again, he would come and he would do his chanting and then and she would pay the priest. Well, Lynn asked if her friends from church could come and visit. And her mother said yes. And Lynn's friends from church came and they prayed for her mother. And when they were done, Lynn's mother reached into her purse and said, all right, who do I have to pay? And the Christian said, oh, no, no, don't pay us. We're here to pray and share with you the love of Jesus Christ. And unlike the priest who came only when he was paid, Lynn's friends would come regularly to visit her mother and Lynn and often ask them, is there anything you need? Is there anything we can get for you? Is there something we can do for you? And Lynn's mother was so surprised at how much they wanted to serve and the difference she saw in their lives. And as a result, Lynn's mother started visiting Lynn's church when she got out of the hospital and came to Christ. You see the power of God's people applying God's word and coming to the aid of those in need as God commands. Church I was part of when I lived in Texas uh, was a great church. And one of the things they would do before school began in August, our schools here start in September, in early August, they would ask people in the congregation, we are going to supply the needy children here with school supplies before school starts. So could everyone go out and buy school supplies for children, pencils, pens, papers, backpacks, clothes, and things like that. And how do you think people in the congregation responded? It was overwhelming. They would get excited about this, and they'd go out and buy all kinds of school supplies, and they would bring it to the church, and the church would announce it to the community, and hundreds of people would come, needy people would come to get supplies for their children for the school year. And this made such an impact. You know, the news showed up and uh, was there filming the whole event. And then the newscaster interviewed the pastor and said, Pastor, how do you know that some people aren't here just to take advantage of what's going on here? And the pastor smiled and said, well, that's, that's between them and God. They want to take supplies and perhaps deprive a family and truly needy people of school supplies that they need. If they, if they want to do that, that's between their conscience and God. That's between them and God. They can live with themselves doing that okay. But we're here to love our community, and, and meet the needs of those who need it, even if we're going to be taken advantage of. And that's why that church had such a powerful testimony in that community. So our application, or my challenge for us, is this. Since we're called to aid the needy, let's be proactive in doing that. And let's do it in the priority of, of which the Bible teaches us. First, look for needs in your immediate family your brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, grandparents, uncles, aunts. See if there's needs in your immediate family and seek to meet those needs in the name of Jesus Christ. Then the second community we ought to be looking for is be proactive in looking to meet the needs of those in the body of Christ, those whom we fellowship with. Are there those in need there? So, you know, go up to your pastor, your church leaders, and ask them, are there individuals or families here in need that we could help out? When the world, outside world is looking in at the church and they see how the church loves one another, cares for one another, meets the needs of one another, and that speaks volumes. They are impressed. I've had 
many people come to faith in Christ after defending the truth, and they say, okay, it's logical. They start watching the church carefully and seeing how the people care and take care of one another, meet each other's needs and sacrifice for one another. The reality of the truth of God's word comes to life in an undeniable and powerful way. And they go, wow, I, I want to be a part of that. Okay, so be proactive in looking for needs in the body of Christ. And third, be proactive to look for the needs in your community, those outside the body of Christ. Single mothers who need male role models uh, for their boys and girls, you know, the elderly, the hospitalized, the unemployed. It's kind of tough to go up to people in the neighborhood maybe and say, can I share the gospel with you? But, I mean, if you knock on their door and say, we heard there's a need here, and in the name of Christ, we're, we're here to help meet that need, you'll be more than welcome. And they'll be willing to listen to whatever truth you want to share, right? So when we aid those in needs, it's a powerful testimony to the truth and the reality of the gospel of Christ in our lives. So we're to apply ourselves to good works. We're to aid those in need. And third, we are to abound in producing fruit. Paul states here, and not be unfruitful. The result of a life devoted to learning God's truth and applying it in good works, you have a life that abounds in fruitful living. When Paul says fruitless here, he means useless or unproductive. Hey, the analogy is to that of a fruit tree. The purpose of a fruit tree is to produce fruit and bless others. A fruit tree that does not produce fruit fails to fulfill the purpose for which it was created and designed. And so Paul says here, a fruitful life means a life that is producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we apply God's word, as the Holy Spirit empowers us, we begin to abound in the fruits of the Holy Spirit as our lives are changed and transformed and we become more like Christ. And as a result of our lives becoming more like Christ, we touch the lives of others. And so that's what it means by fruitful living, producing fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life, and as a result, touching the lives of others for Christ. It's God's will that every believer and every church be fruitful and fulfill the mission for which we were designed. Now, Ephesians 2.10, Paul states, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? What are we created for? For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The reason God doesn't take us home immediately after we're saved is because we're here to fulfill a calling and a mission he has placed upon our lives, to do good works, which he has prepared for us. Paul's prayer for the Colossians is similar to what he was sharing with the people of Titus's congregation here. He says, and so from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What was God's will for them? They increased in the knowledge of God and also bear fruit, which produces Every good work. Very similar to the theme of Titus here. The truth of God's word should transform our lives. And as a result, 
result in abounding in good works that we may live fruitful lives. And when we are serving, we are using our spiritual gifts and they come to full fruition in our lives. And when we're serving others, our character is being developed. The fruits of the Holy Spirit begin to mature and we become mature disciples of Jesus Christ who can have a tremendous impact to the world around them. And not only are we fulfilled in doing God's will, we become a powerful witness to the world. You know, I remember when I was a youth pastor decades ago in Texas, we were teaching these things. And I remember our youth sought to apply it in their lives. And one of the ways they did, I remember some of the girls took the initiative and said, you know, we're willing to babysit some of the infants on the weekend so that the parents can go out for a romantic dinner one night probably a romantic dinner that they haven't been on in a while. And we will babysit their kids free for that night so they can have a a romantic dinner, just the two of them, something they probably haven't had for a while. Tremendous application and sacrifice and, and display of God's love. I remember the guys, some of them saying, you know what, the elderly and those who need their yards cleaned up and taken care of, we're willing to do that for a weekend. And so they volunteered to help out the elderly and those who could not take care of their yards and clean up their yard for them. Tremendous application there of God's word. I remember one year, uh, one of our girls, Alicia, during the season of Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving here in the United States, uh, it's a celebration that occurs in November, commemorating nearly 250 years ago when the pilgrims, the first settlers, coming to the United States, survived the cruel winter because they were helped by the American Indians. And so as a result, they had a Thanksgiving dinner, huge Thanksgiving dinner in which they gave thanks to God and celebrated that moment with their American Indian friends celebrating their arrival to America and surviving that harsh winter. We've celebrated for a couple hundred years since by having a large turkey dinner you know, inviting family and friends. Well, Alicia noticed that there were immigrant families who had just moved to the United States. Many of them did not have the means to provide for a big Thanksgiving dinner and did not have many family or friends to celebrate it with. And so Alicia said, well, how about this project, Pat? What if we ask the families in our church, you know, not only to buy a turkey for themselves, but buy an extra one? so that we can give it to some of these families in need so that they can have a great Thanksgiving dinner. I said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And we announced it to the church and the response was overwhelming. I mean, the people in church got excited about it. Everyone donated an extra turkey. We had several dozen. We were able to go to these houses and in the name of Christ, give them a large turkey so their family could celebrate and have a great Thanksgiving dinner. Hey, when the body of Christ does things like that, it's not only fulfilling to us because we're doing God's will, but it's a tremendous and powerful witness beyond words to you know, the unbelieving world around us. So our application and our final challenge is this. Take the initiative. Be proactive in looking how we can serve and meet the needs of those around us as individuals or small groups, take the initiative and do it. You know, it takes a lot of time and effort 
to get a whole church involved on a project. So do it as an individual family or as a small group. Go for it and do it. Don't wait on the church or getting the whole church involved. Just do it yourself. And when you do it, I'll tell you what, others are going to get excited and they're going to join you in that wonderful endeavor and all going to grow in Christ together. Your pastors and church leaders, our priority is to careful research so we can accurately handle and teach the Word of God and to disciple others, equipping leaders for ministry. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcast, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Oh, 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 oh,